Can it really be true that Jesus is alive? And yet the next minute they're gripped with panic. Uh, are the Jewish authorities about to come and arrest us and crucify us? And so here they are in this kind of topsy-turvy emotional state and they're in the upper room and they've locked and barred the doors and they don't know what on earth's going on. And suddenly, there he is. There Jesus is standing in the midst of them. And his coming to them makes sense of everything. And it changes everything. Jesus in the midst of us makes sense of everything. And it changes everything. Now, I just want to make a few short points. And firstly, Jesus comes to them. He actually does. Verse 19, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the authorities, Jesus came and stood among them, right in the middle of their muddle. In Revelation, we read that Jesus uh, called through a letterbox and said, look, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And if you open up, I'll come in and eat with you and you with me. He normally does that. He stands outside and knocks on the door of our lives. But these are his disciples. These are particular circumstances. And on this occasion, he doesn't wait on ceremony. And he breaks into the room. C.S. Lewis says, uh, he's able to enter the room, not because he's somehow wispish or ghostly or ethereal, but in the very opposite. It's because in his resurrection glory, he is more weighty. The word glory in Hebrew means weight. He is more substantial, more real, more corporeal. There's more substance and gravitas to him. And it's the, the walls, as it were, that are uh, insubstantial. And here he comes. Doesn't need to be let in. He comes. And he meets them behind the barricades. And he's going to call them to come out beyond the barricades. That's what I want to underline this evening. He meets them behind the barricades and he calls them to move out beyond the barricades. In Eden, after the fall of Adam and Eve, they hid in fear from God. They were afraid of his judgment. They didn't know what was going to happen and they felt shame. They were aware of their nakedness and their sin. Just a great undoing came on them. But they heard God in the cool of the day moving towards them. He wasn't moving away from them. He was moving towards them in love. And the disciples here are hidden behind barricades. The men, the women had been out early, but the men are barricaded in. Why? They're afraid and they're ashamed. They're ashamed of their denial, their disloyalty, even their disbelief. But Jesus moves towards them and he comes to stand amongst them in the middle of the muddle and to heal them and to restore them. Many of us have places in our own lives that are barricaded because of fear or failure or 
places of shame or doubt, addictions. And Jesus wants to stand with us in the middle of the muddle of our lives. You know, society has been in lockdown for a year, but many of us have been in lockdown in our souls for decades. And there's places that are just barred and we're behind them, hurt and unhealed. Lately, I've been reminded of traumatic experiences that I experienced when I was a child and a boy 40, 50 years ago. And the Lord has just been bringing them to the surface, meeting me there and healing them and dealing with them. There's a song by the great, I'm sure my age here, 70s guitarist called Phil Keege. And he became a Christian and he wrote a song called Broken Places. And there's a line that goes like this. You can't ever leave my love behind. He's putting the voice of Jesus on it. You can't ever leave my love behind. I'll meet you in the broken places, in the shadows of your pain. I will find you and stand beside you. That's what's happening here. Jesus is meeting them in the broken places, in the shadows of their pain, finding them and standing with them. And that's what he wants to do for you. This is a message of Easter, that the resurrection Jesus, in all his love and tenderness and healing power, comes to meet us in those barricaded places and heal us. That's the first thing. Secondly, Jesus comforts them. Verse 19, he says, peace be with you. And then again in verse 21, he says it again, peace be with you. It's a kind of double blessing. Now, it's a customary Semitic greeting to bless with the words peace. The Jewish community greet one another with the word shalom, means peace or wholeness, well-being. And in Arabic, the Islamic community greet one another, salam aleikum. It means peace be upon you. And when Jesus says it, it's more than a greeting. It's an impartation. He is the incarnation of peace. And with a word, he could just calm the stormy seas. With a word, he could just calm and dispel the shadows that afflicted people. Jewish rabbis actually say God's name is peace. Yehovah Shalom. In fact, so sacred was this concept of God as shalom, as peace, that Orthodox Jews today aren't allowed to say that word if they're in the toilet, because somehow it might debase the word. It's such a sacred word. Weird, because I find peace in that room. But here's the thing. Jesus comes, the Prince of Peace, the one who the angel said would bring peace to all humankind. and in his death and in his resurrection, he's seeking to bring peace. Peace between us and God, peace between us and others, peace in ourselves. He's the one who speaks peace and his words have effective power. And you know, our world is longing for peace. I Googled the word yesterday and there are over a billion hits on Google. All sorts of 
people offering all sorts of ways to peace, eight things to do if you want to be at peace with yourself, 15 things you can start doing to find inner peace, 40 ways to find peace of mind, 11 ways to find your inner peace now. And in all of these things that I scanned, you got to do something. One said, you've got to visualize your happy place. Another said, read the story you tell yourself. And then there was make a joy list, keep good hygiene, declutter, all these, I'm sure very good bits of advice, but Jesus doesn't meet them and say, what's your story? Find your happy place. Jesus meets them and imparts peace. He speaks peace. His very presence is both disturbing and peace bringing, but he comes to bring peace. Listen, saints, if you're behind the barricades, full of anxiety and worry. And Jesus wants to meet you there and bring his peace. That's what he does. He's the Prince of Peace. Then thirdly, Jesus communicated more of himself. It says in verse 20, he showed them his hands and his side. They'd watched Jesus die in agony. They'd heard his last words as he commended his spirit to the Father. The mental move for them from what they'd seen to what they were now seeing with Jesus in the room is huge. Jesus immediately, having spoken peace, shows them his wounds. Wounds that they'd witnessed being made. And Jesus says, this is me. Look, He's still wearing the scars. He's wearing the wounds. This is me, he says. He's the same, but he's risen. He's also different. It's the same lamb of God who was slain on Good Friday. We've just sung the song, the lion and the lamb. It was the lamb of God on Friday, but here he is the lion of Judah, the great glorious dread champion who defeats death. It says he shows them that the word in Greek is interesting. Deic numi, it means to show and tell. It's not just a show, not just, a, it, it's a revealing and an instructing. It's a teaching, show and tell. And this showing dispels their doubt, but also makes sense of what they've seen. And he shows his hands and side with these wounds in particular. Why? Because the crucifixion began with the nails and ended with the spear in his side. And it's the cross of Jesus that they are to comprehend. Yes, here he is in his risen glory and power, but they're never to forget that he is the wounded, suffering servant and sin bearer. He shows them the wounds, the scarred, the sacred scars are the sacraments of our salvation. And when they saw the wounds, then they realize this risen, glorious, monumental king is the wounded savior. And it says, verse 20, that they rejoiced. When we see the wounds for us, that we will rejoice. Fourthly, Jesus confirms them 
I think Stephen's going to talk more about this next week. It says in verse 22, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. There's a kind of play on words here in Hebrew and Greek thought because breath and spirit are the same word. But he breathes on them, receive the Spirit. And this is an echo of Genesis, of the beginnings, where God forms Adam from dust and breathed life into him says, and he became a living being. God's breath turns mud into a man. Amazing, isn't it? And that's what the illusion here is. Behind the barricades, Jesus reconstitutes creation, and there's new beginnings, and a new life, and a new start, and a new humanity. It's wonderful. But note the sequence. The wounds first, and then the spirit, wounds and then the spirit. You see, the spirit flows from the cross. I saw a church's motto the other day, and it says, this was their motto, we believe God is all around. Well, that's okay, because in a sense, he's omnipresent, he is all around. But the church's motto should be, we believe God is particularly here. God is revealed, not in some general panentheistic manner in creation. He is particularly revealed in Jesus. He's revealed in the wounds. The spirit flows from the cross. Out of Jesus's side flowed blood and water. Blood and the spirit, we need them both, both witness, but the spirit comes from the wounds. And why does he breathe the spirit on them? We're going to be looking at this next week. But I just want to say this because he wants to be near us. He wants to be near us. He's, he wants to empower us for service. But first and foremost, he wants to be near us. The spirit is given for his immediacy and then for ministry. And then lastly, Jesus commissions them. Verse 21, he says, as the father sent me, I'm sending you. It's actually a claim to divinity because he's saying, I'm just like the Father, just like the Father. Just as the Father does this, so I do this. But Jesus comes behind the barricades to lead the disciples beyond the barricades. They, they're not to stay there in the upper room. They're to go out, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost end. And once Jesus has come and stood in the middle of the muddle, and once you've seen the wounded one, and once you've been blessed with peace from him, and once your fear has been replaced with joy, and once the spirit is breathed on you, then there's no stopping you. There's no holding you back. Just as the Father sent the Son, so the Son sends the Spirit who sends the church. God moving in love towards us and then through us to what H.G. Wells called a world gone mad. There are many obstacles that get placed in our way and that keep us behind barricades. Sometimes they are experiences in our past. Sometimes they're just messes that we make of our life sometimes as christians they can be just bad theology and 
endless going around abstractions. Uh, sometimes they can just be sort of introspective spirituality. In the 1960s, C.S. Lewis warned against uh, theologies that can be barricades across the high road that hinder the wayfaring Christian. All sorts of things can get in the way and build up a wall and be a barrier to stop us from doing what God's called us to do. And the heart of our mission is to go outwards and convey Jesus the wounded one and the risen one. And then Jesus says, verse 23, if you forgive anyone their sins, they'll be forgiven. What an amazing authority we've been given. But if you don't forgive them, and there are conditions for forgiveness, you've got to repent and turn to the wounded one, then they're not forgiven. Listen, saints, we are in the forgiveness business. That's what we're about. We're a forgiveness people. The presupposition is that we're sinful, and we are. Don't pretend, don't hide, don't barricade. We are sinful, but we can be forgiven when we look to the wounded one. I need to finish. Terry Pratchett in an early novel of his from the 70s presents a chap called Sergeant Vimes. And he's one side of a barricade. And he asks this young chap who had ventured beyond the barricade, he says this, what do they talk about beyond the barricade, my little lad? And the chap who's called Nobby says, um, well, justice and truth and freedom and stuff. And then another person there says, ah, it's just rebel talk. What do they talk about beyond the barricade? Justice and freedom and truth and stuff. And saints, we are an Easter people. We're, we're the rebel people, but we're to go beyond the barricades, having met Christ with our side of them. And we're to go and tell the good news of Jesus, the wounded one and the risen conquering one, justice and truth and freedom and forgiveness stuff. Amen.